If you open your Bibles to the book of Matthew chapter 8. Everybody say Matthew 8. Now, we're still in the book of Matthew. We're still learning how to be followers of Jesus. We're still looking at what that means. But every once in a while, we see that we can, we sort of see that there's a, a subsection in Matthew's teaching, an emphasis that he's bringing. So we're going to look at Matthew, Matthew chapter 8 and 9. Can I just explain something real quick to you? Do you mind? I'm going to go do it anyway. So I, I have a, 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 there's a couple of different ways that you can approach, well, what I do, what we do here. We could... We could look at, we could, I could read like all, we could, we could go through large swaths of scripture, like all of eight or all of nine, try to, try to cover large territory and maybe look for a, 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 a synthetic, a, a, a synthesis thread, a, a thread that kind of combines an idea or whatever. And that, and with the, simply with the goal of completing the book of Matthew. Well, but then again, I say to myself, well, first of all, what's your rush? These are the words of Jesus. <laughs> the life and ministry of Jesus is certainly worth taking our time for. And furthermore, there's just, there's just too much. There's just too much in the text to, to go that quickly. I, just, I know people that, go through the entire, that went through the entire book of Matthew in six weeks. I, I don't understand how you do that. Uh, I think you miss a tremendous amount of life. And so I once again have unapologetically said we're just going to take our time. Okay, four of you agree. That's fine with me. The, the, the eyes have it. So, uh, so we are in this passage uh, that's Matthew 8 and 9, and, and really Matthew has slowed down, and he is going to give us some individual miracle stories. Now, the, the, the Gospels are full of miracles, full of uh, miracle events. Many times these miracle events are described in, uh, in mass. Uh, he'll talk about, they'll talk about crowds or whole groups of people. But more often than not, the individual miracle stories, the ones that you and I are most familiar with, the ones that people tell about in Sunday school or they even become well-known enough to be part of pop culture, more often than not, these miracle stories are the result of an interruption. Jesus was doing something else and someone came and interrupted him. And now... This isn't the point, but it's good enough for us to say, we as Christ followers probably should have enough faith and patience to let the Lord make miracles out of interruptions. <laughs> okay, we should just trust him enough that if something pops up that we didn't plan, maybe we should lean into the voice of the Spirit a little bit. There might be, there might be a moment that, can be re- that could, in fact, have been recorded Think about it. If Jesus didn't let himself get interrupted, get interrupted, these things would not have been recorded for us for millennia. Pretty cool. Plus, it just tells us the nature of Jesus. Not in my notes, but this is exciting. He didn't. You could say, well, he had perfect foreknowledge. Sure, sure, sure. Setting aside that, Jesus didn't plan. He didn't wake up in the, the morning and write down these things in his day timer. What do you mean by that, Dev? I mean that his nature, these things express his readiness. He was planning on doing something else, and yet he re- these things express the readiness of Jesus to respond. That's good enough to just call it a day. But let's hear what he has to say. So we, the, the, the subtitle for this series is called Miracles with Meaning. Now, Dad, why would you say Miracles with Meaning? Well, because the Gospels contain stories of Jesus' ministry that not only record 
for us a miracle, but that these miracles communicate a message to the reader. They are not metaphors. They are not analogies. They are real miracles. And they have an of course they have an immediate message or impact to the to the recipient and to the observers. They 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 meant what they meant. There was a, there was a breakthrough of power and compassion in the moment. But they continue to have a meaning for the reader. Just because you and I weren't sitting there 2,000 years ago, these things still have a meaning to you and to me. The miracle has a meaning that echoes through the ages. Each miracle casts a bright shadow behind it. Each miracle leaves in its wake an, an invitation to believe and to experience the same grace that we observe. So let's look at today's. Matthew chapter 8, verse 4 verses. When Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy. Then Jesus said to him, see that you don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. You ready? Wow. Wow. Now, Matthew uh, organizes his text. Uh, the ancient bibliographies, and this would be like an ancient bibliography. We call it a gospel, and it, it, but the genre would be an ancient bibliography. More often than not, they were not organized chronologically so much as topically. The book of John, for instance, is much is, is it may, may kind of does goes back and forth. The book of Daniel absolutely is chaos. Uh, uh, but Matthew has a hint of chronology. I mean, he definitely has the birth of Jesus and the life of Jesus and then this death and resurrection. But he the it's he he organizes or edits some of these things by topic or arrangement. He there is a general timeline present, and Matthew has this event. He makes sure that, that he wants us to hear this miracle directly after Jesus coming, comes down from the Sermon on the Mount. And there, there may be a couple of good reasons for that. Matthew doesn't tell us why, so we have to sort of suppose. Um, because the Sermon on the Mount, was 517, began with Jesus saying, Don't, do not assume that I came to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And then the whole message exemplifies his fulfillment. And then the, the capstone of that is 712. Therefore, I tell you, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And that will fulfill the whole shooting match. Well, it may be that this miracle is a physical expression of that fulfillment in Matthew's view. It may, it may emphasize that Jesus wasn't just a teacher. 
The last thing we heard Matthew tell is that the crowds were amazed that he taught with authority. But maybe he's, Matthew wants to remind us that Jesus didn't just talk, that some things aren't just solved by good teaching. But that as king, Jesus has power and authority and compassion to act. Jesus wasn't just a philosopher. He's Christus Victor. He, he enters into our lives to bring victory. But certainly, I mean, if you, if you if I wanted to just camp here and think, look at how, how does this miracle respond to what Jesus just said. Jesus just got through saying, how much more will your heavenly Father give, do good things, or give good things to those who ask him? Look here. This miracle we're about to read, or we just read. Or when he says, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. This leper comes to Jesus and says, if you're willing. And Jesus does unto him as he and we would have want done to us. But regardless of all of these meanings or what, in, in the, as far as a storyteller, this miracle has for you and I great meaning today. First, I believe that it illustrates the condition and the question of humanity. First of all, Matthew tells us large crowds follow Jesus. Everybody say follow. That, doesn't, that, that should not necessarily lead us to believe that at this time that there are large crowds like being his disciple. These were people that were interested in him and following him where he was going. But I want us to see something here just as believers and as a church that Jesus Christ did not pursue crowds. He did not pursue them or perform for them. He either attracted them by the multitude or he repulsed them. But he never changed. Jesus was never on TMZ changing his outfit or his hairstyle to accommodate any local fads. Ooh, what's Jesus wearing today? He's trying to stay hip. Jesus was, did not follow trends. He did not perform for crowds. He, he, he is the constant. He stays the same. What's good news about that for many reasons is Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The same Jesus that we read about here is the same Jesus that we can experience here. All right, four of you are pleased with that. Good enough for now. Now listen, then it says this, out of this great crowd, a man with leprosy comes and falls at the feet of Jesus and says, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Now that's not really a question, but it's proposed as such. Here we have his condition and his question. His condition is the man had leprosy. Here is the deal with leprosy. No other disease, historians really tell us this, no other disease reduces a human being for so many years to such a hideous wreck. It is a long, slow decay unto death. Physically, it begins with a loss of feeling, and then that which leads to injury. And I want it, we don't need to be too. There's lots of historical descriptions you can read them, but there's loss of feelings and an injury, and then the body begins to rot and become disfigured as it continues to decay. Physically, it's a nightmare. 
Josephus told us it was such a physical nightmare that lepers, as, uh, as soon as they were diagnosed, they were treated as if they were already dead. But almost just as bad as the physical problem, there was a, a stigmatism attached to this disease. It's one thing to be sick. It's another thing to be stigmatized for it. Immediately after diagnosis, a leper was banished from society. This is ancient. It goes all the way back to the book of Leviticus, chapter 13 and verse 45, when the law says, anyone with such a defiling disease, listen to how they, what they must do. So they already are sick, right? But here's what they must do. They must wear torn clothes. So this is, this is not a medical cure. This is, this is a physical expression, a stigmatism. Anybody who has a defiling disease, they must wear torn clothes. They must let their hair be unkempt. You've got to tear your clothes. Can't comb your hair. Some people might think sweet, but no. <laughs> Can't comb your hair. You must cover the lower part of your face and cry out, Unclean, unclean. Verse 46, as long as they have the disease, in other words, there were some cases where some skin diseases might have been temporary or there was miraculous intervention. But as long as they have the disease, they must remain unclean. They must, listen to this, they must live alone. They must live outside the camp. Now, in the Old Testament, particularly Leviticus, this was, this was mainly for sanitary reasons and for health reasons. To keep themselves, they, 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 it had to be certain that they could, people could visually tell that this person was carrying a contagion and was unclean. And they had to be separate so that this thing wouldn't spread. There was, all, there was all kinds of reasonable reasons for that. But over time, this, this, the, the stigmatism increased to where if you were diagnosed as such and then, of course, had to clothe and conduct yourself like this, it, it, the idea was you owned, the, the idea was you were essentially unlovable. You were unclean and unlovable. Rabbinical traditions by the time of Jesus had, of course, they've, of course, added to Leviticus as if Leviticus wasn't bad enough. Uh, they, they, they said that a leper only had to look across the threshold of a house and the whole house, all the way up to its rafters, were, was unclean. It was illegal for a, a leper to greet anyone in public. Uh, they, had to, they had to stay a, a certain distance away, but if the, like, like from here to there, you had to be this far away. But if the wind were blowing, if the wind picked up and you had leprosy, you had to stay 150 feet away. Some rabbis, if they, if they saw uh, lepers coming anywhere near them, they would begin to fling stones at them to make sure they kept their distance. Sickness was real, and the stigmatism may have been worse. I am not only unclean, but I am unlovable. 
his condition speaks to the reader. It was hideous. It was hopeless. It was real. But it does, in a way, connect with the condition of humanity. Many people find themselves in hopeless and even hideous circumstances. Our own versions of uncleanness carry with them astigmatism. Addictions. Oppression, depression, reputation, your track record, your resume, your own collection of failures or regrets, the baggage that you carry, our own suffering, and our own sin. Make us feel condemned, marginalized, cast out, unlovable. Even if we are only internally a leper, we may have everything uh, on the outside all put together, and yet we may hide from others what haunts us within. So this man, he comes, and he's apparently heard of Jesus. He knows that Jesus is able to help him. But the question is, the question he has is, are you willing? This is a real question that a real suffering man had we, 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 we could understand his desperation. We could understand, given his, the stigmatism he lived under, that even if Jesus could help him, Jesus, like other spiritual leaders, may have been too repulsed. Maybe Jesus was too disappointed in him. Maybe Jesus was too disinterested. After all, According to the culture of his day, maybe the leper didn't earn Jesus' attention. As a matter of fact, maybe he deserved to stay that way. That was the, stigma, the stigmatism. That was the implication. Well, you, however you are, you, you probably deserve this. You probably sowed wild seeds, did this, did that. Maybe you, you recall in the book of John when the... His disciples come upon a man born blind, and they say to Jesus, whose fault is this? Did he sin or did his parents? Somebody did something wrong to bring about this suffering. That was just common assumption. So this man, clearly with this this horrible disease, this defiling thing, certainly he deserves it. How many times has he heard that or felt that and believed that himself? Perhaps he just might have been asking for too much. But, but, if Jesus is willing, he can. 
this could all be over. He could have his life back. He could have, in that day, much, very likely, he could have his wife back, his children back, his home, his job. If you had been diagnosed as a leper, you, you, you don't get to go back home. The moment the diagnosis happens, that's it. You don't get to see your wife, the kids, or the one on the way. You're out. And you never go back. She's on her own. Kids are on her own. The house, somebody else's responsibility. Entire breakdown of the family network because of this disease and the stigmatism. But if Jesus is willing, all of that changes. We can have a sense, we can feel empathy with the glimmer of hope that would have compelled him. Of course he wasn't supposed to approach Jesus or talk to him. He was supposed to stay away from him. But we can understand that he'd had enough of the disease and the stigmatism. For the reader, this is still a question that connects with us. Because we know that if there is a God, he's able to do stuff. If there is a God, he probably has tremendous tremendous cosmic powers. If there is a God, he's powerful. Even if he's not nice, we know he can do stuff. But the question we have, because of the fracture of sin, because of the fall, the question we have is not as, is there a God powerful enough, is does he see us? Does he know us? Does he care about us? Jesus does not come just to show us what God can do. Jesus came to show us what God will do. So this miracle answers it's a response to not only the nature of man, but, the, but uh, we show that we show the, the, Jesus, we see the nature of God in response to the condition of man and the answer of Jesus in response to the question of man. It affirms the nature and answer of Jesus, picking it up at verses 3 and 4. The first, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. Jesus reached out his hand and touched him. I don't want to make too much out of the grammar here, but this could have been concurrent, but in in every story, the touch is always placed first. He reached out his hand and touched him. Now we know that Levitical law forbade touching anything or anyone unclean. In Leviticus chapter 5 and 3, 4, we read that if you touch something unclean, you become unclean. 
This was actual and this was spiritual. It was actual to stop the spread of disease. You did not touch so that you would stop the spread. You did not touch so that you would stop the spread of disease. Furthermore, it showed the power as the, as the reader would look at that and consider and then know that these, 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 these laws were laid down next to moral laws. You understood that, that you understood the power of sin, that you don't come into contact with it. You don't connect with sin because it's infectious. The Levitical law was, spirit, was actual and it was spiritual. But Jesus reached out his hand and touched this man. Crowds were there. Can you see it? Try to see this. The crowds had just heard him. They were following him. And, 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 and from this crowd, there was a, a stench and a noise and a voice. This man. The crowd would have got out of the way. They would have quickly gasped and moved out of the way as he made his way to it. It wasn't like the woman with the issue who snuck her way in. If they saw him coming, they would have got out of the way. They wouldn't have tried to stop him because they wouldn't touch him. So they would have cleared out, cleared a path out of his way. And, and perhaps he would have found his way right in front of Jesus. And he falls to his feet right in front of him. And this could be it. This could be a death sentence. Who knows what could happen? Rocks could be hitting him at any moment. Or Jesus could say nothing, move around and just ignore him. But he's on his face before this man, this prophet. He don't know much about him, but he knows he knows what he's, he knows something enough to know that he's able to do something if he's willing. Maybe it's quiet for a few minutes. The next thing this man feels is not harsh words or hard rocks. He feels the touch of Jesus. My notes say it would be the first human contact he had experienced in a very long time. But there was far more than human contact. It was the hand of Jesus. Emmanuel. God become flesh reached out and touched this man. This is more beautiful and more profound and more powerful than words. One million words could not describe this to us. Jesus touched him. And with the touch of his hand, Jesus confronts suffering and sickness and stigmatism. He confronts it all with compassion. Jesus' touch, like Levitical law, Jesus' touch now communicates also two things. His touch was actual. It didn't, you weren't, you remember, not to touch was to prevent the spread of disease. But now Jesus touches and he spreads the cure. And it was spiritual because in touching him, Jesus did not become unclean, but his touch made the man clean. Because for now, a greater power and a dominion was present. Behold the kingdom of God. Behold the dominion of the Spirit. Behold the righteousness of God. He touched him while he was still a leper. 
while he was still a leper. While we we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He touched him while he was still a leper. He touched him while he was still a leper. Didn't wait for the leprosy to go. But don't, please, sweet, wonderful North American evangelicals, Facebook Jesus, don't leave it there. He didn't pat him on the head and say, it's okay. Your leprosy's all right. It's not a big deal. Doesn't have to change. We want to be diverse with your leprosy. You need to be more tolerant of the leprosy, Meg. Jesus touched him while he was still a leper, but did not leave him that way. He did not leave him that way. People say, oh, Jesus, he's friend of sinners. He did not leave him that way. Oh, he ate with with tax collectors and sinners. Not so that they wouldn't stay that way. He came and showed up at their house and said, y'all need to repent. (laughs) And he touched the leper so that he wouldn't have leprosy no more. The kingdom of God dominates. It does not accommodate. It is an invasion. It is a dominion. He did not come to make a truce. He came to bring us into covenant. It dominates. He touches the man and he says, I am willing. Be clean. Tangentially, a little caveat here, it's just important for us to see as Jesus models the ministry of healing and deliverance, he prays in, in, for fellowship and for communion and for intercession, but he ministers with, with uh, contact and command. Okay? When he, I am willing, be clean. Right? He doesn't, in other words, Jesus doesn't pray. He, he connects and commands. When it comes to ministry, prayer happens elsewhere, intercession and worship and communion. Just just to keep that in mind, that as you're ministering, exercise power and authority, command and contact. We'll, 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 we'll come back and see this again. I am willing, be clean. But, but this, is, this just rocks everything. I mean, the t- when Jesus touched him, all of the, it just, it, everything just pivoted. All, there was an axis that shifts in all of the, all like everything. He, that was the, one of the greatest examples of, a, of, of the shift in Mosaic law. That, that, that finally Jesus, he said, do not think that I come to abolish it, but to fulfill it. I have come, now this I have enacted, I have come to really bring righteousness to bear upon you. Okay, that's a lot. But now he says, I am willing, be clean. The, in other words, the answer to if you are willing was, I am willing. Now, maybe you're like me. I grew up a long time reading those words, I am willing. And I, I didn't feel the force of it. Because if, I, because if you and I say, I am willing, it sort of sounds nearly ambivalent. Eh, 
what it sounds like to me. I am willing. Eh. Right? That's what it sounds like. Eh. But in the Greek, there are two different words for willing. Okay? One of them has to do with permission. If I come in this room, let's, here we go, two examples. I come in the room and I'm about to sit down. Here's, here's, uh, here's Jay and here's Lori. Now, this isn't really fair because Jay's a pretty close friend, but you can imagine. If I come down here and I see Jay and I say, hey, can I sit here? Jay will probably, well, he would, actually, because I know Jay. Jay is just sort of, he'd say, sure. <laughs> he'd kind of shrug his shoulders and say, whatever. And, and he, it, it, he wouldn't be offended if I didn't sit there. Wouldn't bother if I did or didn't. He'd say, sure. He might, he might, he might scoot something over, probably would. He'd give me permission to sit there. If he was a total stranger at a bus stop and I said, can I, can I take this, can I sit there? They might go, eh. you know. <laughs> if it's Southwest Airlines and I happen to make eye contact with him. <laughs> right? You know, you, on Southwest, just don't make eye contact and that's going to keep your seat for a while. But anyway, if you make eye contact, oh, can I sit there? And uh, you know what's true? That's called, that's in the Greek, that's, there's, there, there's a word that expresses willing and it's permission. Like, sure, go ahead. Then there's another word that expresses that's, that's willing. And, but this would be like if I, were, if I walked into the room, and maybe I hadn't seen Lori for a day or three, and she's sitting here, and, and I look and I see that the seat where I normally sit has stuff on it, and I say, can I sit? What do you think she's going to do? She's going to probably, unless that's her other bag, she's going to toss that bag on the floor. This is a really nice one. And then if not, she'll make Max hold it. But she would, she would say, yes, I want you to sit here. Versus sitting anywhere else in the room. I want, say want. want. I want you to sit here. There's a, there's a, this word is thalo, and it means I prefer. Not I, not I permit. I prefer. What Jesus said to this man was not, eh. What he said to him as he touched him and had to lean in close to do it, what he said was, I prefer you to be clean. I don't just permit it. I don't just make time for it on my way. I prefer it. Some writers actually tell us that the way Jesus said it was a, a Hebraism, a, 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 like a, a euphemism in, in, that, in, that, in Palestine that would have sounded something like you and I saying, why, I'd be delighted. I'd be delighted to make you clean. I prefer you whole. I prefer you. It is my preference that you are well and clean and whole. And if you want to get if you want to have more fun with grammar, this is not just a random or unique expression. It's not an aorist. <laughs> It's a present active indicative. What? That means that, it, that, means that Jesus was saying, I am willing. It's a, it was a constantly true idea. It, didn't, it, didn't, it wasn't an, an instance or a unique one. It was a constant. Everything Jesus said and did was the perfect expression of the Father's will. If you're willing, as a matter of fact, it is, it is my will and it will remain. It is, it is a, this is a, an expression of my nature. I prefer you well. It was a real answer to a specific question, but it also is an answer to our questions. 
He is willing. He would be delighted. He prefers you well. For the suffering, for the sick, for the stigmatized, for those who wonder if there's hope for you, for those who wonder if you are lovable, He is willing. Then Matthew tells us that immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy. There is literally nothing and no one beyond his reach. If the extreme is within reach, if he can reach out his hand and touch a leper and bring him wholeness, then, then, then if the extreme is in reach, then so is the urgent, so is the important, so is the concerning, so is the mildly worrisome. They're all within the reach of Jesus. You are within the reach of Jesus. You are within his reach and he is willing. Verse 4 is an interesting one to conclude. He said, now don't tell anybody. Now don't let, just try not to let weirdos tell you that this was some sort of a messianic secret, that Jesus was James Bond. That, doesn't, that falls totally outside of the plan here. What Jesus tells him to do is to go to the priest and take, take an offering and show that he'd been cleansed. Why is that important? Because regardless of how the leper appeared, to himself, to anybody around him, regardless of his appearances, he still could not have returned home. He could not have returned to his community or returned to society until the priest certified his cleanness. And you say, well, was Jesus just accommodating the, the, the system? Well, sort of. But in healing this man and then giving him this instruction, Jesus turned his eyes on the man's family and future and financial life. This miracle can, affirms the extent of his will for us. I am willing not only to get this disease off of you and affirm your cleanness, but I'm going to, but now you're going, I'm going to make sure in this, in this one act, this one sweeping act, we're going to restore everything. We're going to restore everything. You're going to get your skin back. You're going to get your health back. You're going to get your religious standing back. You're going to become clean. Now you're going to, now you're going to go to the priest and make sure so that you can get your wife back and your kids back and your house back and your kids back in that order. Wife, house, kids. <laughs> how thorough, how complete is his redemption? How thoroughly he intends to work in all of our lives. Nothing is outside of his reach. And he is willing. How does this miracle encourage you? How does this miracle encourage you? How does it encourage you to trust Jesus today? How does this miracle encourage you to trust Jesus? To respond to Jesus today? What is in your life today that you perhaps have considered out of reach or wondered if he is willing? 
How does this miracle encourage you to imitate Jesus? To be his agent, his follower. To, in his name, extend your hand to confront suffering with compassion. Can I ask you to stand together as we close? How does this miracle encourage you to trust Jesus today? Are you a candidate for the hand of Jesus? carrying astigmatism. Maybe you're haunted by something even internally that you've wondered if the Lord sees or cares about. Nothing's outside of His reach. Nothing is outside His reach. Can we pray together before we send you out? If you'd like prayer this morning, if you'd like someone to pray with you or for you in any way. Hey, this leper had the courage to charge through a crowd if you'd like prayer this morning can I invite you to just to come join me at the front our musicians are going to sing this song about the blood of Jesus and what it speaks over your life if you'd like prayer come and find a place here at the front